This is the Kick Aspirational Podcast. I'm Dave Anderveen, and uh, we are in Season 1. I believe this is Episode 19. I'm with Jason Roberts, who's a lifelong friend, or at least... Uh, Volleyball last... partner, <laughs> dance partner, foodie, connoisseur. Wow. A chef among men, and, uh, and a dancer among, among everyone. But Jason... We used to be, didn't we? Oh, what man. Happened? We used to have this incredible energy for the dance floor for community for sprouting um i don't know you know years have passed and here we are i guess we're still talking about the same thing right yeah i mean i think i think like you know the funny thing so we met i'm just trying to let's start with a little history so you 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 and i worked together Mm -hmm. um i was with excess you were typically with um, I cook. I cook, mm-hmm. and then we. What was as I cook and Queen Cookware, or just so I cook? interesting enough. So I think I signed with um, uh, as the international, or sorry, the global ambassador for I cook okay. in about two thousand four, two thousand and five, and in some of the markets I cook was being launched. So I was like that face. Um, in some of the markets, some so through some of the Asian markets, I think it may have been Japan and China. They, they didn't with, change it, and they sort of right. understand what you know why why fix something that wasn't broken. So I then become sort of the inherent. Queen Ambassador. The Queen Ambassador. Mm. <laughs> wow, That's the movie's strong. coming out in all. That's strong. <laughs> but by the way, we're we're drinking a uh, a, a floral gin that we picked yes. up at a uh, at an event in London with a a new a product we're we're uh, testing out a CBD soda. So it's a non psychoactive soda that has some amazing benefits in it. And uh, I feel amazing. Jason, how is it? It's amazing. Mm. I feel like I could ride a bike a hundred miles. Oh man, the inflammation is dropping out of my system as we speak. <laughs> but um, <laughs> but no. So my first memory. So Jason and I've worked together around Amway events over the years, um, and then we've been friends for a lot of years. Yeah, I mean, you, you haven't done a lot with Amway in the last five years or so. No, I guess the last thing I was doing probably was was the launch of Body Key. Okay. Um, and then so sort of since then, I guess we just maintained. Continuity through friendships and being a digital warrior. <laughs> being a digital warrior. And, uh, but no, no, I haven't really worked for the, for the, the company for a few for years For a while. Mm. I remember the first time I think we met was with the Australian, uh, yeah. Australia ALS, one of their achievers. Right. Yeah. In Hawaii. In maybe. Hawaii. And you were doing, so you must have been doing iCook at that point, right? Yeah. Is yeah, that no, why was you were there? That was my, I think, might have been my second event with iCook, actually. I think... I'm pretty sure one of the first thing I said when I met you was, "Hey, you going, mate?" And I think I'm, I don't know if it was it might have been you or Scott actually, and had, had turned around and said, "I don't even know what that means." It's, <laughs> how how are you? It's well, how are no? How are you going? So it's how are you and where are you going? They're two different questions, but Australians have this way of doing two things at once. Right. So how are you going? Or you you can ask you'll ask me something, and more times than not, I'll go. Yeah, nah. Yeah, nah. Yeah, nah. So, yeah, no, so Australia, so you so are you from just Australia. You just, just did it. You, you went, yeah, nah. Yeah, nah. <laughs> you're, you're from Australia. We should probably point that out. You're from Sydney? Yeah, New Zealand, actually. <laughs> you're from, no, you're not. Yeah. You're Kiwi? Yeah. Wow, good friends. <laughs> but good you don't, friends. You don't sound like a no, Kiwi. No, no. But I was born in New Zealand. No. No, uh. you, no. No. <laughs> no. That's my favorite. We were, <laughs> one time Scott and I were sitting, I think we were in Coolangatta, which is on the gold, you know, south of the Gold Coast or Byron Bay somewhere. And we were, you know, when you ask a, a classic Australian waitress for something, they'll say, you know, I'd like some bagel with that. They'll say, yeah. And you'll say this, yeah, yeah. So we were trying to say, see how many times we could get her to say, yeah. 
And so she'd say, yeah, I'd go, yeah. She'd go, yeah, 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 yeah. <laughs> but probably, probably like six or eight was me. But did you ever get that, yeah, 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 yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> I, mean, I didn't even count that one. That's insane. So, so no, I was, actually, I was actually born in New Zealand. Uh, okay. And at the age of three, uh, actually four, I moved to Queensland. Grew up on a dairy farm till I was maybe 14. 14, went back to New Zealand, did my high school at 18. I was 17, actually. I left home, moved to Sydney, started my career as a chef. Okay. So you, you mostly spent your life in, in Australia, mm-hmm. hence the accent. Yes. Do, your, do, your Kiwi, do, you, have, do you have relatives in, in New Zealand? All my family still live in New Zealand. Oh, really? Uh, my, oh, well, my mom, my, my brother, my sister, all my relatives. My dad lives in Sydney, though. Have you told them that it's really just another state of Australia? Actually, do you know what? When I moved, to, when I did move to Australia, I moved to Bondi, and, oh, wow. and it was a running joke that Bondi was the capital of New Zealand, <laughs> because for the longest time, the New Zealand population never grew. Right. People were moving out of New Zealand just as quick as they were being born. Oh wow! Yeah. So, and we're we're lucky in Australia, New Zealand, that you, we can live in Back either and country. Forth. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I love. You've seen Flight of the Concords. <laughs> yes. <laughs> I love Flight. Of, I love the. The healthy Australian New Zealand kind of um, rivalry that they foster on that show. Yeah, well, they, the, the you stereotypes know, they, and everything that they that they play. Running, with. running joke when I was a kid because you know as an, an All Black supporter, our national uh, and you, rugby that, team. That means yeah, you're sponsoring the rugby team. Rugby just team, for right? listeners, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> we would have you know we'd say why do why do why do seagulls fly upside down in Australia? Why? Because Aussies aren't worth shitting on. <laughs> <laughs> and now I live there, so. <laughs> Oh but, I live, but I live there now. So. <laughs> yeah, there's a there's a rich history of jokes between the mm-hmm. two countries. I've heard a few sheep jokes. Uh, yeah, 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 yeah. There's yeah. a few of them. But, yeah. you know, but well, that's uh, fair, actually. That's that's an Aussie. That's an Aussie pointing it out that in New Zealand that there are there are seven sheep to every man. So <laughs> <laughs> the odds are in your favor, right? And it's, yeah. it's weird that we have we're not accustomed to to several brides. It's crazy. <laughs> <laughs> Oh my gosh! No, I love I love New Zealand and I love Australia. I love visiting yeah. both of them. Yeah. And and I for to me it kind of feels like here in the U.S. we have Cana- you know Canada is our neighbor. Yeah, I, I like to call it Canadia, Canadia since they're hey. Canadians. Yeah, <laughs> but the um, and you always get you know you always get corrected in in Canada when you call it Canadia, rightly so. But um, you know it's uh, I think there's a little bit of kind of. You know, the smaller country always maybe feels a little bit imposed on or something. So there's a little bit of standing up for work, work Canadian. We're not American or not, you know, mm. not from USA. Well, actually, what was interesting, when, once uh, Lord of the Rings had come out and mm. everyone was aware of New Zealand and you would um, you would tell people that you were from Australia. So, yeah, I can't wait to go to New Zealand. <laughs> <laughs> it was funny because New Zealand is, is this pint sized little country that sits slightly to the to the right yeah and uh no but everyone was aware of new zealand and but no one knew of it before lord of the rings which was interesting but it is a beautiful beautiful country yeah and i'm you know for the longest time people say do you think you'd ever go back to new zealand i go yeah nah nah <laughs> but the more i go back there the more time and i think the more space i like the more the clean air i want the things that we're all fighting especially, for now right? yeah especially as we get older i think yeah. when you're young i mean the the, the nightlife's a little slow very yeah queenstown can be fun auckland can be okay but you know compared to australia the nightlife's a little slower you're looking Um, for experience i think as you get older and experiences that people aren't aware of right you know which is interesting um i went back to new zealand uh with with my partner sammy and our um uh, our children and 
we was, went to a place called Fongamata. We're sitting there, we're having a meal to eat. And this guy came up to us and sort of pointed out that we were tourists. But I shared with him, no, no, I'm actually from New Zealand. And he said, are you guys doing anything? I said, yeah, we were going to probably take a couple of hikes. He'd mentioned to me there was this hike that we had heard of. It, it takes you up to a waterfall. And he said to me, look, I'll tell you this, but you're not allowed to tell anyone else. You're not allowed to take a camera. You're not allowed to take your phone. Yeah. So it's like a secret spot. It was a secret spot. He says, "Do you know what? There are too many. There are too many of these places now that we used to have as kids. That now, when we go there, there are there are tourists there. Yeah. I'm only telling you this, and the proviso that you don't tell anyone else. But we went to the same water. So, uh, so where waterfall. was it? <laughs> <laughs> it was somewhere in, near uh, north uh, in Fongamata. So we went to this uh, waterfall. But he told us about if you walk a certain, you know, you walk say 20 meters to the right, there's a little hidden track, and you walk down." you can actually walk down to some caves behind the waterfall. Oh, wow. It was one of the most beautiful things. I think as we get older, it's those experiences where, where the, that you don't see via social media. They're anything but being social. We actually just experience being in the moment. No, the moment. I think that's right. that's right. I was just there. I was in New Zealand three times this year. Loved it. Um, it's there in the Kiwi summer, so in January, and then again in, I think, in February. Beautiful. Yeah, so it was gorgeous weather, hot. You know, it was a little drive and it was really nice. And then I was there again in April. So it was coming into your fall. Mm. And I was there with Outside TV. And we were doing this. Uh, my friend Pat Parnell has an Outside, outside TV show called... Um, uh, no, I forget the name of the show. The, but out, the Outside TV Show. The Outside TV Show. <laughs> I think it's... it's uh, I'll think of it in just a second. It just slipped out of my mind as I was talking about it. But we do a segment on it called 48 Hours of Awesome where Pat and I do as many crazy things as we can in 48 hours. Mm -hmm. And what was amazing was to be, we did most of those things in Queenstown. We did a little bit up in Auckland, then down in Queenstown. But the amount of crazy things you can find down there to do was, I mean, mm -hmm. we did this river surfing where you're bodyboarding on rivers, but mm -hmm. it's, I mean, the, one of the, which is fine. I've, you and I have surfed and body surfed a lot. But you take your boogie board and you dip down where there's a seam where there's an underwater current mm. and you, you can ride that current underwater for as long as you want to and then you, you, you lift back, back up, up. And, yeah, and you come back up. But it was, there's just all kinds of crazy stuff. And of mm. course, there's a lot of bungee jumps and rope swings and all that mm. kind of you know, insanity that they have. But, isn't, it, yeah. isn't it cool though, I think in the years that we've known each other, so let's say it's about 15 years sort of thing, and you can sort of go in and out. You, once a year, we'd see each other. At the, at the very least, we'd right. see each other at TVs or something like that. But then to come back, haven't seen you for a while, and you pick up where you left off. But don't you find that the, there's that point where your life sort of, where you sort of lived a lot of your life and you've done a lot of crazy things, but you can still find these unique little vibes and tribes, whether it be, it doesn't matter where it is in the world, right. but you tend to feed off that sort of thing. So I think... You know, for me and, and where I am in my career, I've sort of been in and out of restaurants and this digital warrior platform, like being a, you know, working with social media and it doesn't matter where you work from, you can still find these little pockets that really feed you. And I think that's one of the biggest things I think to date now is how do I continue to find that vibe and that tribe, right? Yeah. And you're, I mean, so just to, I know, I've known you really well, so I have to remember to ask you questions so that the rest of the people listening to this know who you are, but you've been, um, you've been a chef and in in effectively in cooking for most of your life 20, in one way or another 27 years yeah. 27 years yeah. and you're 32 <laughs> all right dude i wish i'm bordering 45 i mean i look incredibly handsome so you'd probably have to go and check out my instagram account at chef jason roberts 
Chef um, Jason Roberts. Yeah, none of my images are filtered. Um, well, I mean, a little bit. A little bit. <laughs> but you know, I, I, I guess I've been, I've been very fortunate. I, I think about how sad it is in my career that it's changed so much and it's gotten harder. Some they call it death by real estate in the restaurant industry now because you know you can be sitting on real estate, but you may be busy for one of those services, maybe busy for breakfast or business for lunch, but the rest of the time you're not. Right. You're still paying staff, you're still paying for your food costs, you've got to watch the amount of wastage. So it's gotten really harder. And now with labor costs, certainly in Australia, and I guess the same here, people are being paid that little bit more. It's not as viable for restaurants to to make profit. And and what people are willing to pay for a meal. And I mean I've had meals, you know, at, at at places for 10 bucks a plate and then I've eaten somewhere for $400 uh, just recently head, you did yeah. which, which was uh, at, actually and, I, and I'll put this in there at Dialogue in Santa Monica is an incredible chef Dave Barron he, this is an experience this is not just a meal this is something that will blow your mind how many how many courses was it this was 22 courses wow so obviously um, small courses small small bite very small <laughs> bites yeah <laughs> imagine if they were regular <laughs> claim jumper right? yeah, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I mean it, it was incredible but you don't I think that's what we're looking for and this is what everything when you're looking at finding your community, you're looking for experience. And so this is a perfect example. I went to this restaurant and because I know Dave, but the experience goes far beyond just that meal. It goes beyond just nourishing me. It goes beyond, it, this is gonna be stories for, for months, for years. Right. His connection to food and how I tapped into that energy. I thought that was really special. Um, and, and what, so what kind of, you know, if you're going to explain the meal, how would you try and explain what the so, 20, 20 odd courses was so about? So 20 odd courses, and Dave's very clever at this because he, he takes you on a journey and the journey is the season basically. Okay. So it could be, you know, autumn, winter, spring, summer. Um, actually, I only believe it was only three seasons because you can't actually get all food from all four seasons in one season. So he's all about... He's trying to source things fairly local. Yeah, as yeah. local as possible. Um, I think it goes beyond just being local, but it goes, it, it is about that story. So he, he takes on different techniques of, um, think, you know, through fermentation and the understanding of fermentation. Hey, look, Instagram picture. It's not really Instagram. Hey, actually, can you do that again? Yeah. I look fat. <laughs> well. <laughs> yeah, but you know, if I hold my shirt down, shoulders back, side profile, pinch the jaw, eyes that way. There we go. Right? There's a, there's, a, there's a movement now involved. I just learned something about how to take photos of, uh, you know, my, my chubbier friends. <laughs> you know, you... Okay, so... Yeah, well, Kidding. Everyone, Kidding. Everyone, Jason's everyone... always been in great shape. He's still in great shape. He's He actually started... <laughs> one of the things he did, which we'll get to, is called Chef Cycle, where he... He is a, you're almost a professional level rider on a bike. I mean, you're, you're a, I mean, I would like to think I'm a professional. I mean, look at them legs. Oh my gosh. He's got, he's got, I'm going to post some of these photos. He's has some amazing, uh, tattoo art going on here. Look at this. This is, this is powerful Sorry, stuff. Hold on. Second. <laughs> we got, <laughs> we're making social media happen while we're doing the podcast. So you can, you can find this on chef. Chef Jason Roberts will have it on his Instagram, and I'll put it on uh, on Kick Aspirational and David Fifty Eight as well. David Fifty Eight. I rem look. It's funny. Just quickly going back to the to this meal. Yeah. Same thing. It's an experience. Like that. That going to New Zealand and being told about the spot where no one else was is an experience. Right. So I think that tapping into something new and finding community is about trying to find experiences that are unique to you. And and food is is that thing. And I think my core brand elements have always 
Oh, gluck, 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 gluck. That's just the extra gin going in because clearly this is not funny enough. <laughs> plenty funny. Just, I, I, I hate to see people running low on... Um, yeah, no, on, hydrate, on, hydrate, hydrate. On funny juice while we're talking. No, so so this was like a, a kind of a micro-gustation meal in a way, right? He's, he's yeah. putting a, a density of flavor into mm-hmm. what he's creating. And he, so... so Taking you through the seasons, you, you, he's creating that experience, but you visually you see the seasons, the smells, the flavors. He'll he'll describe food as you know you can the smell of uh, you know the morning dew on a cold morning sort of. Thing. You oh, actually wow. smell that. It's brilliant, and he, it's called dialogue. Food is about conversation. Right. Sometimes food is a subconscious element of a table and bringing people together that community and right. so so what he does and you could be there by yourself or you could be with a group of people he creates the dialogue he creates the community so that's what i'm saying it's an experience look it, it's a lot of money to part with for a meal but it's an experience that you're going to live but with it's much more than a meal right it's absolutely. almost like going to a dinner show because it's, you're getting it's theater. yeah it's theater right absolutely i mean we used to say when i worked in the wine industry for about eight years and one of the things that and, and we've had uh christoph and jen anderson on this podcast christoph is uh he's got i think six or seven wines in the wine bible right now he's yep. a good friend of mine went to college together but you know when when we talk about and, she, and she's his wife's a, a writer she's was a stegner fellow she's won some awards really interesting couple but i think part of what's interesting about about wine in a similar way is that when you're making a bottle of wine mm. um you know i think when we were talking with christoph he was even saying you know i'm not really trying to build a brand in the same way that maybe we try and build a brand with excess um, he's trying to build a brand where the story that's being told is the terroir right it's the soil yeah. and the climate it's the it's the varietal you pick it's how yeah. you choose to develop that varietal how mm. you choose to ferment and blend yep. Um, that becomes the story, yeah. and hopefully somebody who buys it uh, can appreciate it. that, right? You, it's it's interesting. Wine such a such a broad brushstroke now because I remember for many years um, I was working with uh, the Casella family, and they're the guys who brought out Yellowtail wines. Oh yeah, and very so popular. Was, yeah, and, and the interesting thing about Yellowtail wines is because at one point, and this is probably going back maybe ten years ago, it was only a small percentage of the American market that could actually appreciate and understand wine. You would drink it, but did you understand it? No. So, no, so, so yeah, I mean, so like White Zinfandel was a varietal that came out of the Napa Valley. Mm-hmm. And one of my favorite guys, Kevin Johns, was a winemaker at St. Clement. And he used to say, I make White Zinfandel for people who don't like wine. Exactly. So this right. is what this is what Yellow Tower Wines was. It was a, it was a bridging uh, product. So... The Casella family thought, you know, if we could get something that wasn't too dry, wasn't too tanniny, wasn't too sweet, pretty much wasn't too anything, we could get people into the wine market. Then we could upsell the better varieties of wine through the Casella family, which I thought was really interesting because they were right. They were able to sell a bottle of wine for $5, which happens to be cost more than most bottles of water these days. Right, right. But they were able to get people to appreciate wine. And now those people who now understand wine through this style of, you know this culture of making wines now starting to appreciate so they have built a palette off a, off a platform product like yellow tower and now drinking something a little more special well that's what you know if you look at like in the napa valley robert mandavi was mm-hmm. kind of the ambassador for the valley and i've talked about this before but one of the things that he did really uniquely was Rather than try and sell his wine, he sold the Napa Valley, the terroir of the valley. And if you know, he he would get you to fall in love with the with the valley, with the microclimates and the fog and the heat and the 
and the, the way that the soil worked and, you know, whether it was the, the volcanic soil or the, yeah. you know, the, the, the gravelly meadows. But his whole point was to get you to fall in love with what it took to make this bottle of wine yeah. so that that's what you were buying. And that created a platform for everybody to sell higher quality wines out of the valley. This actually happened in uh, New Zealand as well, because I think it was 2009, the Marlborough produced a glut oh, right. of grapes, yeah. right? And so everyone produced a subpar bottle of wine and they came together as a collaborative and it might have been about 200 different wine growers and they said, look, do you know what? Next year you have to, grow, you have to dig your first crop back into the soil. And so they lost a lot of revenue off that. Mm. But what they realized was as a community, if we all did it, we will all benefit by retaining the name of the, the style of wines the the qual- yeah, the of, of the Marlborough right. wine. So yeah. I think that's important when you when you understand that as Mondavi did for um, Napa, yeah. New Zealand were doing the same thing and building that culture and not letting anything go out that was subpar. Yeah, no, that's that's huge. And 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 the other one that's kind of funny, so Visa Tui was another one in the valley, very differently. But he was the first guy that figured out he was never going to compete on quality of wine. Yeah. So what he did is he um, he built a castle-like structure and got approval to put picnic tables outside. And he, then he put a uh, uh, a deli, in, you know, in his winery. So it was kind of the, the Disneyland yep. of wineries up yep. there. Um, you know, smart guy, not the highest quality wine uh, in the valley. But he created this unique experience where yep. for m- most, you know, the Napa Valley is the second biggest tourist destination in California yeah. after Disneyland. And so he figured, hey, there's a lot of people coming up here who have no idea what they're drinking. Yeah. And so he made a, a good tasting wine, um, I would say palatable, that you know, you'd stop at his place, you'd get some bread and meat and cheese, yep. you'd get a bottle of his wine, you'd sit at a picnic table in this beautiful setting, and then he was genius at capturing everybody's name and information. This was before the yeah, internet, yeah. this is days of mailing list. And he made a killing on this winery, which then allowed him to buy Peter Michael and some of the really nice ones in the valley. Mm-hmm. Um, but I think there's there's different ways. You know, different brands have different experiences they're trying to deliver for yep. different reasons, trying yep. to capture a different target market. Mm-hmm. And um, that's you know, it's it's part of it depends what you're trying to accomplish, right? Yep. So yep. this one, four hundred dollars a plate, you're or a meal, you're basically you're. This is the higher end of the market, and it's for people who are actually going to enjoy yep. and want to have that conversation with their food. It's sad. it's sad to think because I think we're talking about you know I was talking about you know restaurants and how they suffer because of its death by real estate and what they're paying because they need to be around the clock making money from those seats. So Dave is um, an incredible chef. He has this experience, and you you pay for that experience, but you'll always remember that experience. But here's where the divide is. Whereas I can go buy something that's subpar, may not necessarily be nutritional, whatever, but it will fill my belly mm. and I won't remember the experience. Right. Um, it's important that we maintain supporting chefs like Dave because if we don't, they're not going to stay around because I'm gonna, you, everyone has to make a living. Right. And so there, there is this point where it's like, well, I need to support that because I believe in that cause. I believe I want that cause for my children and my children's children. Not to go and spend $400, but for the professionals. I call it the lost art of the chef, right. basically. Right. Because everything is so mass produced, manufactured, um, uh, um, processed to the point where, you know, the idea of not having a chef who could cook a meal for you. Right. Um, and have that understanding of technique and tradition. Yeah. It's a dying art. No, it is for sure. So tell us, you know, this in this podcast, we, the reason it's called Kick Aspirational is because it's all about kind of breaking through barriers in our life. How do you, mm-hmm. 
how do you get to the place you want to be, live the life you want to have rather than the life somebody, the life somebody else might be offering you? Yeah. Um, you have a spare room here, right? Yeah, I do. Yeah, you're welcome to, <laughs> welcome to move right in here, Jason. But, but being a chef, choosing to be a chef is, is an art. And, yeah. um, and you've taken that in a lot of different directions, not just working in restaurants, but being a celebrity chef uh, mm-hmm. on television, working you know, as a celebrity for, for the Amway business with you know, representing yep, some yep. of our lines of cookware. How, tell, take us on a journey. Tell us about uh, how you decided to become a chef yep. or work in a kitchen and how you got to where you are today. Uh, it was, it's interesting because it, if, it sounds really cliche for me to even to start this because I knew at the age of four that I wanted to cook. Mm. And like you may see on the back of a lot of authors' cookbooks, I love cooking because I love my time with my grandparents. I had that same relationship. Oh, wow. And so it was at the age of four that I remember my grandmother, you know, in she was running the catering along with my grandfather in Waitaki Girls in the South Island of New Zealand. And I just remember these jolly women in white coats who cooked and, and my grandmother doting over me. So there was an energy that came with that. Right. So I then, you know, I, I, I remember that feeling as a kid and then growing up in a different country on a farm that feeling sort of never went away, never really went away from me. And you could also connect where the food came from because to of the how farm. you made it, right? Because of the farm. Because yeah. of the farm. You know, we, we grew, we were dairy farmers. We had probably 200 head of cattle. Wow. We grew chick. we had chickens, we had pigs, we had, we grew watermelons and zucchinis and stuff at the back of the chook pen. So there was this, if we used the chicken manure, it would help with the soil. We caught freshwater mullet and jewfish. There was... There was this thing of the seasons, you know, in winter and, and mushrooms would just come from nowhere sort of thing. So right. you start to, it's not like I had to learn it. It just become our way of life. It's, it's how you were living. It's how we were living. So to take the idea of wanting to cook, then to see in front of you without it ever being forced, there is this progressive evolution of your understanding of where food comes from and how we use it we um how we prepare it and all how that we prepare it yeah so so watching my mom cook or whoever cook not to mention <laughs> i love food you know yeah I'm yeah such a pig well you, um, you're a pretty skinny guy for loving food yeah right so and then to go from the farm um what was interesting about growing up on a farm i went to school with maybe at max 20 kids Oh, because it was rural. Very rural. And this is in, in Australia? In Australia, in Queensland, right? Oh, wow. And so to, to have that experience and where all the boys were like wanting to do woodwork or metalwork or they were wanting to be policemen or council workers or whatever it is, I was like the only guy I knew that actually wanted to cook, but it never felt weird. And this, and I'm talking about this is like... Because you're all doing stuff. Yeah, we're all doing stuff, but cooking was, was what my love was. And then so... Jump forward to 17, 18, I follow my career. I moved from Auckland to Sydney. I meet my dad for the first time. Oh, wow. Um, wait, wait, how, can you, so can my you parents, yeah, yeah, yeah. So my parents were very young, like 17 and 19 mm. when they had me. Mm. Um, relationship didn't last. My dad sort of split and did his own thing. And then he reached out when I was 18. Oh, wow. I'd just come back from playing rugby in Japan for a schoolboy team. And you were aware you had a father. I was aware. I Your mother didn't tell you it was a virgin birth or anything. No, <laughs> no. I mean, I, to this day, I still feel like I'm, I was born out of immaculate conception. But <laughs> I don't look like my dad at all. I'm, I'm three or four inches taller and I'm a much better cyclist than him too. <laughs> um, so I met my dad for the first time. It was interesting because I got, you know, I started my My humble beginnings as a cook was actually Kentucky Fried Chicken. Oh, cool. 
Um, I was there for a, uh, for a month and, and it was actually my dad that landed me my first job. He's an interior painter. He was working at a, uh, in a restaurant and he overheard that someone had left that day. He spoke to the chef and she said, yeah, sure, send him in. Um, and this is where my love of food grew. And I have incredible respect for Megan Brown, who was the chef who employed me there. She took me under her wing. Um, and so over a course of, say, four years, this is an apprenticeship. Yeah. I worked in three different restaurants, the last one being Bistro Moncur, which was a classical French restaurant that, oh, wow. that held two hats, which is the equivalent of, say, two Michelin stars. Yeah. And I grew very quickly. I had incredible mentorship. Is a hat a uh, Australian? So, uh, it's a thing you put on your head. <laughs> so we call, had like a chef's hat. Okay. So that was the equivalent of the like a Michelin star rating. Okay. We have a good food guide and they give out hats. Oh, okay. This so, is an Australian, this is Australian mm-hmm. ranking system. Mm-hmm. Cool. So Bistro Moncur had uh, two hats. I was employed uh, there under a chef by the name of Colin Holt. Then over a period of time, it's a very transient industry. People come and go and leave. Sure. But Bistro Mongo had a very small turnover of staff. People loved working there. We had great, you know, Damien Pinula, who's been my mentor since I was 19, 20. Wow. Um, I think this is what's important and probably a really key uh, point to this whole message when it comes to food and something that's inspirational is that Damien was a mentor, not just for food and is, by the way. Still here. Um, <laughs> still with us. Still with us. <laughs> Good. Um, Damien... He went beyond teaching me about food. He taught me about life. He taught me about love. He taught me about music. He taught me about death. Because these are all the things that I experienced in the time that I worked with him. I had I had a, a roommate who passed away. Oh, wow. I, um, who, uh, who died. I had, um, I mean... Did you, you didn't know? No. <laughs> it wasn't me. It wasn't me. No how, did, how, did your, how did your roommate Actually, die? that was really sad because it was 2005. He... Uh, Julian was a German backpacker mm. <laughs> who lived very uh, frugally. I guess we okay. were sharing. We were sharing a house. He drank a lot. He rode a, a road bike. Yeah. Uh, I couldn't tell you what he actually did for work. I think he was an IT of sorts. Um, but you know, I did my work. I was working eighty hours a week. He did his thing. We just shared a space. Anyway, so it was Boxing Day of 2005. So this is like the day after Christmas? Yeah, day yeah. after Christmas. He had gone to the races. Um, there's some race on that day. He had gone back to his friend's apartment in uh, Rushcutters Bay in Sydney. Okay. And apparently there's a spa pool on the top. On the This is crazy. On the top floor, which is nine nine levels high. He They went up, they had a spa. There's some switch on the side of the building to... Uh, turn it on or whatever it was he apparently he reached for it slipped somehow slipped reaching for it he fell nine stories to his death oh no so at two o'clock in the morning on the 26th oh no of 2005 i get a phone call your roommate has been in an accident they didn't tell me he died oh wow this was this was actually horrific because the at two in the morning, I'm like drowsy. I'm not, I don't drink. I'm focused on my work. And okay, yeah, I'm coming, I'm coming. They actually knocked on my door, picked me up. Even in the car, they didn't say he had died. Yeah. They took me. They, uh, so I remember walking around the corner of this building and all I see was a, a it looked like a surfboard bag. That's a body bag. It was a body bag and two, in, like blood, which was two inches thick. It was, it was horrendous. And then obviously I worked out, okay, something's happened here. Um, I don't think I'd even com- computed that he died. Right. Still hadn't even... They said, we need you to identify the body and that's when it sunk in. Oh, wow. And so I'm in a state of shock because I didn't know what was going on. Um, I had to, you know, they said, you know, they 
revealed his face. He'd actually, I'm sorry for anyone who's listening because it's pretty horrific. They'd identify, they showed me his face. I said, I'm not sure if it's him. Because he had landed on his... Landed on his face. Yeah. I had, had to take another look and I, rec- I recognized his T-shirt. Yeah. And that was him. Oh, Done. Wow. I tell you what was interesting that day. It was, it was a bit of an out-of-body experience for me too because they then drove me home. By then it was probably 3.30 in the morning. I started work at 5.30, 6 o'clock in the morning because I like to be at work an hour ahead yeah. of time. I like being ready. I liked having most of my work done before I was meant to be even at work. Prepping. Prepping. And so I got to I got to work. At this point, I wasn't running the restaurant. I was, uh, I don't know if it was a pastry chef or a sous chef then. I was waiting outside for someone to let me in. But on the way to, on the way to work, I... Uh, oh my God, this is before iPods. This was, uh, this was, this was a Discman. Oh, yeah. Uh, I was listening to the last track on a Pearl Jam album called Indifference. Oh, wow. I listened to that song solidly for about a week but that morning i put that song on i started listening to it and there's a like there's there's like a, a reservoir like a, a water outlet and it has uh barbed wire fencing around it at the top of centennial park i got over that i jumped over that and there's this big grassy area would be about the size of two tennis courts i sat in the middle of it and i just listened to that music and it was the weirdest thing i had three black crows it was like some weird witch triangle Wow. land around the outside of me and I'm just there just trying to take in and absorb what's going on I'm still in shock there's these three crows I'm listening to this music wow. it was a complete wow. weird crazy experience and then then I had to be at work at six I'm still obviously conscious of time I get up jumped over the barbed wire fence and started walking to work and then a guy every now and then I could look at my shoulder as someone follows me to work at six o'clock in the morning I get to work I sit on the stairs and he's peeping out from around, uh, around a building on the other side of the road. And I basically just told him to, to F off. It was the most craziest. Some random guy was following you. Yeah. And so anyway, I, I get to work. I told him what happened. They said, you, you just go home. We don't need you here. I took a week off. I actually went, went to Byron for two weeks surfing. <laughs> there you go. Thanks, Julian. <laughs> <laughs> wow. Maybe I did push him. <laughs> So, no, Byron Bay is beautiful, but it's, yeah. it's, it's horrific to lose uh, uh-huh. a roommate, even if it's not somebody you're Actually, close the to. worst part about that whole experience, and yes, it's sad that Julian passed away, but his, the reason I was the one that had to um, identify the body was because he had no living relatives in Sydney. Oh, wow. He had mum and dad who were deranged, I guess. Or, um, no, when they're not together. Estranged. Estranged. Deranged. They can be deranged as well. But I think it's <laughs> called estranged. Sorry. Yeah. Um, <laughs> They were estranged. Dad was in uh, the UK, I think, and he was a, a pianist. 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 <laughs> it sounds like it's such a great okay. term. He's a pianist, <laughs> and he was finishing out a tour, and so they put Julian on ice for a week and a half, and then he came to collect Julian's things, and because when I said this up before that Julian lived very frugally, yeah. he had a mattress on a floor. He had very little stuff. His dad basically accused me of stealing all of Julian's things. Oh, wow. So, double whammy. And you had to point out to his dad that Julian just didn't have a lot of things. He didn't have anything. Wow. Wow. So, it was, that, was a, that, was a, that was a crazy time in my life. Um, but it's interesting. It, you know what? What I took from that moment, and oh my God, I was in Culver City because I've had a storage facility in Culver City since 2008. And I have all the cookbooks. Because I, you had lived here. and I lived in LA. Yeah, yeah. And then when I moved here, I brought everything with me. So I still, I've never bothered to ship all my cookbooks. I have a thousand cookbooks that I've collected over 20 something years. 
So it's, they, not all, it's not all your cookbook. There's, this is a, yeah, no, this, no, this, this is your library a, of cookbooks. Library of, of, of great chefs from around the world and, and a lot of vintage books and things like that. But there was one, uh, there's one book that I'd written in there. I, the name of the chef is uh, Hideo Dakura, a Japanese chef, oh, yeah. who I've since met actually, which is quite funny. Oh, cool. Um, in the book, I'd written this piece, basically, Julian, you are gone. I think this was some sort of way of me just vetting how I felt at the moment. Um, there are these little reminders every now and then of someone that, that was once, you know, that I knew in my life. But I think what I took from that, that experience, and as crazy it is, and it's a bit like, you know, when you're on an airplane and, and the, the flight attendants, you know, you hear that thing and you put your mask on first. With the passing of Julian, I think what I realized and what I took from that moment, and at that time, I was 21, there was something about putting my own mask on, mm. that Julian's life had been lived so I would learn from it. Mm. Um, Julian was pretty out there, like he drank a lot. I think he may have had some, he may have even had some gambling issues. That's why he lived so frugally. But I felt that it was important to realize that the people that are in your life they're here for you to experience and learn from because that was the only way i could actually digest what that he had passed away yeah not just because i had to view his body but i had to find a way of processing that whole moment well, like you said you said this other chef this friend of yours had taught you about life and death and yeah, yeah. i think part of you know when you're 21 i think most of us think we're immortal I mean, maybe, oh maybe yes. we wouldn't say it, but no one thinks they're going to get old. No one thinks they're going to get sick. Yep. No one thinks they're going to die, right? That's why young people don't save mm -hmm. money typically. They don't buy insurance. Why would you? No. You're going to live forever. Absolutely. And um, I mean, one of the things that I keep keeps hitting me, because we, we have friends on this. We have friends that are older, friends that are younger. Mm -hmm. I have friends now in their 60s that we do stuff with. We ski with, we play tennis with, mm -hmm. different things like that which used to seem ancient to me. Mm. Um, now that I'm almost 50 myself, seems just, just right around the corner, you know? <laughs> <laughs> you look like a 32-year-old schoolgirl. Well, well right? <laughs> I'll buy you another drink in a second, Jason. But the, uh, but the thing that, that kind of, that there's a movie called Liberal Arts, and it's about, our son went to this college, Kenyon College. It's, um, it's by this uh, semi, uh, fairly well-known actor, Josh Radner. Um, but... One of the actors is a college professor who's about to retire at Kenyon College as part of the storyline. And Josh Radner's character comes back to Kenyon to visit him as he's about to retire, bumps into a younger girl who's still a student there. The Josh Radner character is probably in his 30s. Mm -hmm. um, and he kind of falls into semi-dating her. Mm -hmm. And the college professor says to Josh, when the college professor kind of finds out this is going on, because it's, you know, the age difference makes it a little bit inappropriate, um, or just at least unusual. Um, the college professor says, you've got to be careful. He says, you know, he goes, I have to keep reminding myself I'm not one of the students anymore. He said, because I, inside, I feel like I'm still one of them. Yep. But when I look in the mirror, I see an old man. Yep. And I think there's this, when you're 21, you just have no, there's no way for you to really understand that unless you experience the death of yep. a friend or a brother or, yep. or whatever, mm -hmm. or a roommate. And so it, learning about death, I think, is really kind of, at least the way I interpret you talking about it, is kind of learning about our, our, our own Im immortality. Mm -hmm. I mean, that's the thing that really freaks us out about death, the yeah. shit that could be me next, right? Absolutely. I mean, experiencing it at that age, 
I mean, I'd, I'd never really experienced it. I didn't know people who died of cancer. I mean, it's yeah. I mean, they had lifestyle issues. I think my granddad had diabetes and that's as bad as it got for me. Right. But to actually physically see well, death was, was pretty shocking. Does anyone die in New Zealand? Don't they just get with, go off yeah, on those ships with the elves? Yeah. 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 <laughs> <laughs> but what's interesting, Dave, is you, as you get older, and yes, it, it becomes less shocking. That, that scenario is pretty shocking because I had to view the body. Right. But I think you start, and this is wisdom. This is understanding the process of life and that with through through death comes new life. Right. And a new way of viewing things. And I think that's what I tried to grasp from that moment about basically putting your own mask on is that everyone else on this planet is here for me to learn from. And of course I will mourn for, course, for yeah, anyone yeah. who passes. And I and I actually think, you know, I have a um, I'm very empathetic and I have a very feminine side, but I also I know how to grieve. Right. And that's something I learned from an, from an early age. But I also don't take people and things for granted either. Right. That circle of life is very important. And I think something that I, that I enjoy and I can, I, can, um, I can feel very connected to. Do you, so you, you're 21, you have this experience. Mm-hmm. Um, how did this impact your work or what you wanted to do? Or you where know, you it was interesting. We had the way it... <laughs> I was really hot for this girl, by the way. <laughs> um, so I was there at the same time. And wait, wait. So did she work in the kitchen? Yeah. No, she actually worked in the bar. Same. And, and okay. Well, okay. But same, my, same establishment. Same establishment. Wait. And, so do people in the same establishment sleep no, together? No, we're not meant to. <laughs> did we? I'm still a virgin. I don't know. <laughs> you look like a virgin. I yeah, great, yeah, great. Yeah. Great. No, actually, no. I had started dating this girl, and the way it impacted my life was. Um, she had saved money to go to Thailand and uh, to travel. Um, I'd been saving money to go. Um, I was living in a two-bedroom apartment when Julian had passed away. I had um, I couldn't bring it upon myself to get another flatmate in, so I spent all my money. <laughs> um, Dave just added a massive thing of ice to a drink and put. Water and alcohol all over his pad. That's very over my over my notepad. Over your notepad. Yeah, well, I I like these round cubes of ice. So I'm not trying to interrupt your story, but I will briefly since you brought it up. Mm. And um, <laughs> I haven't I haven't quite worked out how to drop them into a, uh, a rocks glass. Apparently, <laughs> well, I have. It's just half the drink goes on my notepad, which just wow, makes that's... the notepad better. So you met you were so so, yeah. so I was dating this, <laughs> so I was dating this girl. I was actually I I feel like it was a first love to be honest. I've had many first loves. <laughs> Um, so I, 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 first time with her we were were dating she was going overseas Um, I was going to follow a little bit later I was going to take some time off work and anyway with my my flatmate passing away and I couldn't bring myself to getting another flatmate I couldn't even bring myself to mentioning it to my landlord oh wow the landlord didn't know nope so were you writing the checks to the landlord yeah I was Uh, paying because Julian would give me the money to uh, and so so I all so the money. Was like, what? Julian's quiet. Yeah. <laughs> no, that's terrible. Wow. Sorry. You should stay here longer. You, you guys are good flatmates. <laughs> yeah. Right. Um, the the thing was, I I couldn't bring myself to, to getting someone else in. So anyway, where I was paying probably three hundred dollars a week rent, I now was paying six hundred dollars a week rent. So I just slowly let my money go away. The relationship went away, and uh, that's how it impacted my life. Whoa. Um, but then I met someone else. Yeah. So maybe this. With through drilling, dying and passing, it changes my course. Okay. As well, so I met someone else, and 
and that didn't work. So then I met someone else. <laughs> and then that didn't work. And then I met someone and married someone and had a child and then that didn't work. And then now I'm with someone else who has a child from another marriage that didn't work. And, and I guess that started that. <laughs> <laughs> well, you have a series of, you have a, you're great at starting. Let's put it that way. Yeah. Yeah. I'm a serial dater, apparently. Serial, serial dater. So, so how did you go from working in, you know, obviously high, high end restaurants and, mm -hmm. and, um, um, I mean, from classical French yep, restaurants yep, yep. to today, you're in more of a much more modern style of cooking. Yep. Actually, uh, good. It's actually, yeah. good question because Dave, I think having started with uh, working with Amway was probably the turn of my career, and and probably the probably the best training I had for my career to date, because of working with iCook and then understanding the IBOs and the Amway way of living and and how that all worked, there was a need for food that nourished you. So I started to learn more about the importance of eating well, I guess. So you're, uh, you're telling a story with food around a product that yes. you're, you're... Wow, look at that. Another another can crack. Straight over your computer. Um, <laughs> that's how you keep the computer clean. But the... Uh, so, I mean, so if I'm understanding you, basically you were great at cooking. You had yep. a fantastic personality. Why, thank you, David. <laughs> <laughs> but it was it was working with Amway and the yep. business owners that yep. drive the business that yep. where you were helping them integrate how they cooked with this cutting edge uh, cookware mm -hmm. in a way that was healthy that connected back to the Neutralite story. Actually, yep. you did excess reductions, yeah, I remember. Yeah, yeah. Um, but you were connecting their business with their life yep. in a way that made it healthier, more delicious, more tasteful. Told a story, right? Yep. It's interesting because the amount of times I do events now and I'm telling people, you guys, you have to understand this is the best of science, the best of nature. <laughs> I have so many great one-liners now. You're using the same one-liners and they have one no idea what it's connected to. Right? You're like, wow, that sounds great. Right? Where do I get that? Right. <laughs> used it, hashtagged it many times. Um, I think, actually, Dave, in all honesty, my, my grounding with Amway and the Amway family and that community of people that you know that I that I was able to build and work with, sort of has forged my career for life, because it's the understanding of, of taking something, whether it be a product or a food or whatever it is, and teaching people how to use it in such a way to build community around it. So it's it's an integral, authentic part of their life. Absolutely. And it's a that what whatever it is. Let's say that if. With Amway, you've got Neutralite, which is about from yep. seed to tablet. So it's about growing things mm -hmm. organically so that they become a, a whole plant you can get any time of the year, wherever yep. you are, right? Yep. Yep. In a tablet form. Or whether it's with iCook, it's about a better piece of cookware yep. that doesn't require the same amount of oils and, and trans fats yep. and thing when you're cooking. Yep. And then learning how to cook yep. better so you're not using those things, so right? So what's, what's cool about durables and certainly when it comes to cookware is that you constantly look at say we're looking at social media and the next thing now well it's now it's about the keto diet or whether it was the atkins diet way back when it doesn't matter what diet is at some point you're going to have to cook something right, so your right. platform is the cookware i can shape i can shape shift my story around what the new fad is sure so that was what was really cool you know i've been very fortunate with the amount of tv work that i've done and, and certainly here in the states but I, so, what, so what are some of the shows on the in the states you've been on? You were um, so, the Chew. So the Chew was the last show. I mean, of late, probably more the Rachel Ray show. And Rachel what Ray, was really yeah. cool about doing Rachel Ray show, and I forget this sometimes, 
you know, I get an opportunity on a show and I, te- I seem to build relationships very quickly to the point they will have you back. And I, the producer said... Wait, wait, people have you back? Yeah, right? <laughs> <laughs> have they met you? Yeah, <laughs> well, you know, I sort of become a stalker and like everyone in their Instagram <laughs> pictures and they say, hey, you should come back. <laughs> um, but what but something that resonated with me and it was one of the, the producers on the show said to me, he said, you have this innate ability to produce yourself as you work you mm. know what to say because you know what connects people right i and i take this back to doing live events with amway is that you have people when you when you're working with an audience that's in front of you you ask questions a live audience a live audience yeah you get automatic responses and you're trying to add value to them because they're going to have to take what you're giving them and, yeah. and try and repeat it right retain yeah. and repeat a little bit yeah. because and if you're not authentic and in, in that you're not going to last it's, it's not going to be memorable no so you were constantly, and I think the, the element that I've always taken into this, I just want to see people laugh, right. see people smile. And so we were doing, was it the rocket monkey thing? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Whatever oh yeah, that was, um, right. yeah, that was, um, that was, uh, oh shoot, it was, um, neutral, it was a Neutralite product set and it was called, um, I'll think of it, but man, my brain is not firing yeah. all cylinders today. Yeah, probably those margaritas at lunch. But the yeah. <laughs> I remember. So I remember. I remember. I remember wearing a T-shirt. Simply neutral. Simply neutral. That's right. it. And so I remember, in in, we were in, where were we? North Carolina, Greensboro, North Carolina. Oh yeah, probably huge yeah. event. A lot of people, big auditorium, and I think I don't know if I had cookbooks then or not. I had something that I wanted to give away. I remember jumping off that stage. And running, this thing was like thirty or forty thousand people. Yeah. And going all the way to the furthest part that I could actually go to, climbing right. up, way up into the up into the ceiling. Up into the, yeah. I I gained everybody's attention that day. Right. Because I did that. Right. I mean, I lost my breath too. <laughs> I gave something away, but Got a I felt sweaty. in that yeah. moment, and and this is not to sound like a. Um, here's how I view television, and maybe you can take this into your business. I feel like if you can get a kid to understand and follow you and believe in you, yeah, you get the parent for free. Absolutely. So I felt like. Well, that's why we do caffeine-free access. Oh, really? Well, we had a lot. Of, well, one, we had a lot of kids drinking the yeah, yeah. caffeinated product, which we were trying to. We don't recommend that, and we were, you know, look. There's there's a point where it doesn't matter, where we have to take responsibility, Absolutely. regardless of what we write in the can, and so. I was like, well, look, if the kids are going to drink it, let's give them something they can drink so they're not drinking this thing they shouldn't drink. Mm -hmm. But um, no, so I I totally agree with that. I mean, I've I've always been a fan of, well, the whole marketing for excess has been towards a young audience, right? Mm -hmm. Towards people who are in their 20s, late teens or 20s. Um, You know, it's action sports, it's adventure, it's all those types of things. Before we created all of that branding and storytelling, we were sampling and selling it in grocery to mom yep. because we realized mom was the person buying by the case for the home. Yep. She was buying Red Bull and, and Diet Coke in the same shopping cart. And I said, you know, if we can get, if we can give mom an energy drink that tastes great, doesn't have calories and is healthier, has you know, mega dose of B vitamins, this will solve a big problem for her. She'll like it. She'll buy it by the case and bring it home. But here's the thing. Mom's the decision maker. She's not the approver. The approver is the family, and yeah. particularly the adolescent kids are the hardest ones to please. So if we could target market, we're going to sell the mom, and she's going to bring it home. But when she hands it to the kids, they'll feel like it's for them. And I think to your point, 
Um, that's been a cornerstone of our business mm. is, you know, look, the person even today who buys our drinks is still the mom and the family mm. who's bringing it home and the kids love it because they feel like it's made for them. I just said, look, if we make this, if we make this a pink can of tab, the only person who's going to drink it is mom. The kids yeah. won't touch it, neither will dad. But if we make it something that's accessible, that, that the kids feel like, wow, this is for me, and current. then everybody will drink it. Yeah. So my example, my example for this is getting the kids um, involved and getting the parents for free food. Every yeah. parent has a nightmare with their child not eating Absolutely. vegetables and stuff like that. So I've later been doing a couple of different school tours and I'm, I'm an ambassador to a product called Ora King Salmon, which is a, uh, oh, yeah. a salmon that comes out of New Zealand. And so they've donated me a fish to go and do a cooking class at the school. And so I am. Do you have, have to use one fish for all the schools or do you get a different fish each time? Oh, just one fish. <laughs> just take a slice off it, cure it, and then ferment it. Um, so now I took a whole fish. What was really interesting about this transaction with these kids was so I'd come along to cook, say, three or four different things. So I'm going to do, I'm going to do some vegetables, I'm going to do some fish, and at the end, we're going to make donuts, all right? Yeah. So the vegetable thing is. I'm showing them how to make a salad. I get them involved and I get them to actually touch like this fennel and, uh, you know, lemon juice with a glove on and they're crushing it and they, and they get to try it and some of them umming and ahhing about it. But they try it. Mm. The reason they tried it is because they were the ones who made it. Oh, wow. I had, um, I had this whole fish, right? So it was a bit of a surprise. I pulled out this fish and it's probably close to maybe about 16 pound salmon. It was huge. A big one, yeah. Pulling it out. Well, that would be like like uh, like almost uh, almost um, eight kilos. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I love kilo to pound conversions. Yeah, right. it's, I live for that. I can divide by two. Two point two, I'm not as good with, but two, I got. Yeah. yeah. Give or take, I'm gonna lose some lose a bit of skin and bone anyway. <laughs> so I, I pull this fish out, and the kids like, whoa! And so they're they're excited for one second, the next. They second. want to touch the eyeballs and see the well, teeth. Oh no no yeah, okay, no! Okay. Initially, no initially, so. It was weird because I pulled it out and they're going, wow, that's... You're talking about the salmon. The fish. <laughs> the salmon. <laughs> you pulled out the salmon. Wow, slow down there, big boy. <laughs> so I pulled out the fish. Wow, straight to jail, Robert. <laughs> and and that, it's, but that's still okay in New Zealand, right? They're no. Cool with that. <laughs> no, no. <laughs> Look, it's, it's a hobbit. Hashtag me too. Hashtag me too. So, so I pulled out the salmon and... The kids are going, oh, and then they go, oh, that stinks. And the kids are like four meters away from it. And I'm, yeah. I'm saying, like, well, how can you smell that? Actually, then I said, but what, do you, what can you smell? Oh, it smells like the sea. And I remember them, what should it smell like? Yeah, and what's wrong with the sea, by the yeah, way? Yeah, exactly. So it was a mindset for them that fish smells. Right. And so it was spanking fresh, clean salmon. Um, anyway, we got past that. I feel it, the fish, and they're hearing the bones crack and stuff oh, yeah. like that. So it was an experience for them, and they're like, oh, gross. But then, so this was fish in a bag where they all had a piece of parchment paper, and they got to put a little bit of vegetable down, a piece of fish, and season it. They became part of the process. Yeah. And I was told by the teacher, there's probably about eight or nine kids who won't actually eat the fish. That's a hammer on the leg of the chair. You can just pull it out if you want. Van, is that the Vander hammer I keep playing on? That is. That's Thor's little hammer. Yeah. <laughs> it actually put so there's wheels on this table that we're sitting at and there's you 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 can hit a wedge into the wheel so it doesn't move that's why the hammer's there it's a very interactive oh, table i thought this was like that brave heart table where you, can <laughs> you can whack somebody in the head if, yeah, my, it's actually near my wife's seat if i get out of hand she just whacks me with that thing sarah sarah has a black belt in karate and kung fu and she's not afraid to use the hammer all right 
Wow. So anyway, so you said the teacher said there's some of these so kids. There'll be some of these kids that probably won't eat the salmon. So what was interesting, 40-something kids, they've all put the fish on in the paper, it's on a tray, it's in the oven, I pull it out, and every piece of fish they got wrapped got eaten. I did not hear one complaint. The eight kid, the eight, I think, probably two of the eight kids had come up and said, oh, I'll actually try that salmon, who I was told that wouldn't eat it. Oh, that's great. And I think one of the biggest things when it comes to food and educating kids on eating foods and vegetables and things like that is actually having them be part of the process. Yes. So it could be when you go shopping for the vegetables, give them a choice or give them give them uh, a moment to choose something. That they Maybe eat. start with a recipe. Like well, that's what, a, exactly. Right. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So they feel like they're part of the process. And I think one of the what we tend to do is because we see it as a nightmare or a chore that we have to clean up after them. We're taking away that experience for them wow. and, and participating. And there are ways of like with vegetables, like there's, there's bamboo uh, bamboo knives where they can actually chop things. You actually, it, food is a tactile thing. Yes. And if you don't let them partake, they're not going to have an interest in it. Look at, look at how popular do-it-yourself projects are now. Mm-hmm. I mean, when you and I were kids, I, 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 went, I didn't grow up in New Zealand or Australia, but when I'm assuming it was similar, when you and I were kids... Like you did stuff with you your parents. You are five years older than me. So. <laughs> I, you were, I was a kid when you were an adult, probably. <laughs> Good try. I could be your father. No. no. Wow, we're, we were kids. All right, let's go with it. Anyway, no, they, but you know they what I'm saying. See us right now, anyway. No, so we it doesn't be. matter. But you know how, like when we were, when when I was a child, when you were still thinking about becoming a child. The, I was um, a tear in my mum's eye. <laughs> well, Actually, my mum was probably 13. <laughs> <laughs> wow. <laughs> I'm not going to go Well, hold there. on a minute. My mum is only 12 years older than you. So you could say all three of us were kids. <laughs> <laughs> oh, my gosh. Your mother wasn't old enough to babysit me when I was born. So no. the, but, but I think the thing was like when I was growing up, there was just, we had a lot of chores. There was stuff we did. Um, you know, yes. I grew up, when, especially when we lived in Michigan, we moved from, a, I grew up in three cities, Detroit, Baltimore, D.C., and then we moved to Michigan. When we got to Michigan, there was just stuff you had to do, and so there were yep. responsibilities that you had to make. And so for me, like building a box out of wood or, um, you know, sinking a, a, a sprinkler system in the lake or, you know, just a lot of things. We had, we had a workshop. We had a lot of stuff we had to do. If you're living on a farm, you can... Yeah. Chop you, firewood. You, you can know, chop uh, firewood. You can probably build a cage if you have to. Yeah, or, yeah. We, we, were, we were fencing. We were... Um, you own your engine repair, small engine repair? Yeah, small engines. Because you, you have things you have to fix. Gas yeah. tanks. But, you know, we also had the ability to run around like idiots and swim in the dams and catch fish. Exactly. It was, it was... Oh, man, it's a different world. I, I, feel, I feel sorry that our kids don't get to so appreciate that. Our younger son... And both of our boys, we've done Cub Scouts, different things where you have to get out and do stuff. We live in Laguna Beach where there's less, um, I mean, the, the, house, the, the lot size is very small just because it's an expensive land. So you don't have big yards to take care of or anything like that. Yeah. But the, uh, you know, he used to only eat, we used to joke that like when we would go to Mexico, he's, he was the one that never got sick because he would only eat things that were white. So he either eat like tortillas or you know, chips or, you know, it was, it was, he was just this classic little kid, Coca-Cola. Now, um, you know, we started, we, Sarah is a very hands-on cook. She's wanted to be a food writer. She was a food writer for the mm. San Francisco Chronicle. Um, you know, she loves like Chez Panisse is a cookbook that's, mm-hmm. I think, sitting under one of her that chairs right now. Yeah. 
Um, you know, there's, there's all these seminal food writers that she loves. And so cooking here is kind of something that everyone's involved in. The thing that changed our younger son um, from him turning his nose up at stuff to him preparing his own sushi was that he got to prepare his own sushi. Mm. And once he got to cut it, once he got to select it, once he got to figure out what it was, it became his house, thing. Right? Then all of a sudden, now he, he's in college and he makes, he makes sushi at home for his roommates in college, which I never did. Yeah. Um, but I think that, that you're absolutely right. It's, it's, it's doing the work. You're teaching a child independence. Right. That's what it is. Yeah. You're teaching a child, a child to um, eat for itself. So jump forward a little bit. So this is going back when I'd come over, I'd signed with ABC, The Chew, I used, and I had a, a manager at the time who's still a dear friend. We started going to some of these conferences and non-for-profit conferences because I wanted to be involved in something and feel like I want to build another community on something that I could give, give back to. So No Kid Hungry was the thing at the time. There were, And we went to a conference in New York City, four speakers. One was Billy Shaw, the co-founder of No Kid Hungry. Jeff Bridges was another one. The dude. The dude. Uh, and then a couple of others who, uh, city council basically. Yeah. Um, it was a it was a bit of a. Uh, so so no kid hungry was a nonprofit charity that you were working with through the Chew. No, so so what it was uh, Chew was just something that I was here for. This was the show that I was. It was the television show. Television yeah. show. I wanted to align myself on a separate entity to a non for profit because I felt I had time and I had money and I had energy to give back. Right. Um, so I went along to this forum for No Kid Hungry where I got to meet Billy Shaw and understand from that, actually from doing that event, I went on to do two dinners to raise money for, for No Kid Hungry. So No Kid Hungry had been around for a long time, a, a number of years, and as part of the Share Our Strength team. And No Kid Hungry has this ability to march onto Capitol Hill with 100 chefs and change some of the policies and some of the bills that have been around for, for years and years, purely based on kids not getting fed um, in various zones or kids turning up to school without a breakfast. Um, so this is because at school you serve lunch effectively. Absolutely, yeah. But so this, so these but are you hope kids, yeah, hope, hope kids have, a, have a breakfast and a yeah. dinner, right? Yeah. So there's a, lot of, there's a lot of politics when it comes to trying to get a, a child fed in a school environment mm. and what it takes to actually feed that child or what's considered a meal. Mm. There's a lot of BS politics, basically. Yeah. So, so through No Kid Hungry... Um, and understanding, actually, here's, this was the change. This is the reason I support No Kid Hungry now is because in that time there was a Q&A. I stood up and asked and, and sort of mentioned that old adage, um, give a man a fish, he'll eat for a day, but teach a man a fish, he'll eat for a lifetime. Mm. And I said... To well, him, he'll, he'd do, be doing a lot of fishing. Anyways. Right. <laughs> well, you just grab a net or a jelly cone back. <laughs> um, I mean, I just don't see how we're not forward thinking right now. <laughs> right. I did ask that. I sort of put that forward with, okay, I, I get that we're giving kids a meal in school, but what are we doing to teach them to eat for themselves? And is the food that we're giving them to them in school, is that actually good for them? Right. Is it, is it nourishing? Well, I don't know. It's a, it's, a, it's a container yeah. of milk, a piece of fruit, and maybe a muffin. When I was in school, hot lunch was terrible. Yeah. I mean, it was... Yep. Not that it, it wasn't just not great tasting, but the best meal we had all week, typically, during hot lunch was the day we had pizza and cinnamon, cinnamon rolls. Yeah. Which has very little food value. Yeah, and the other no days, nutritional value. Yeah, exactly. So. Overprocessed white flour, white sugar. Yeah. Right. So this was my this was my question. What are we doing to teach a kid to fend for itself? Right. With something that's nutritionally viable. And Jeff Bridges was the one who actually answered my question. He said, "Well, in Santa Barbara, we're starting school garden programs." Oh, cool. And so from there, I was sold. Not just because he's the dude, <laughs> but because he answered my question, and I felt like I was then part of something. 
right. my 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 question mattered. His answer mattered because I, I got myself more involved. So the kids are doing gardens and then they're taking that food and preparing it in the school? We're the teaching children the, the circle of life, basically. Mm. What it takes to grow something, to harvest something, wow. to prepare something, to feed and nourish yourself with that. Wow. Okay, so that's not in all schools. That was just a program. And I don't even know how well that's gone down. But, well, but, but the idea is great. I mean, I think there's, there's a lot of evidence. One of the really interesting, interesting statistics is people who actually cook their own meals yeah. have a much lower incidence of obesity. Mm-hmm. Um, you're preparing consciously. Right. You're not wasting anything. No, and, and you're taking the time. You're not just filling your stuff in your face with a Hot Pocket. No. No offense to Hot Pockets, but yeah. I mean, lunch is pretty good, by the way. I ate three Hot Pockets. <laughs> <laughs> actually, it was a delicious tuna taco. Um I, so that so that was a seed that was planted in me was that going to that particular forum mm. um, and what happened next what had transpired next was not just the two dinners that I did and it raised some money and awareness I started to build a little bit of community through social media I became was being seen I was being seen as someone who was helping the community mm. and I'm an Aussie mm. doing it in America I mean I ended up on Capitol Hill advocating for people in New Jersey and New York and wow. talking to some senates about the importance of kids getting their first meal at school because without it, there's no energy, there's no concentration, they don't start their metabolism. Right. A well, kid, and their brains and development at that stage. Oh, exactly. Right. The first seven years are so important. And without something in your belly when you're at school, you're not thinking about what's on the board in front of you, what the teacher's you're saying. You're thinking about lunchtime. You're thinking about when am I going to eat next. Yeah. So it hits home really quickly. I, don't, I never had to choose between the quality or quantity of food growing up as a kid. I mean, I ate like a pig, <laughs> but I never had to choose and didn't have to worry about where my next meal was coming from. Right. And that, that's a harsh reality. And when there are parents in some states that are worrying about, do I pay the gas bill or the electricity bill before I put food on the table? Once upon a time, a parent could buy four burgers and get changed from $5. Right. That's not the problem anymore. It's not the quality of the food that we're worried about. It's actually having food. So... Well, and, and, and I would say in America too, you know, the... If you are short for money, mm. the cheapest food is typically the worst food that's available, right? Yeah. It's either high in, processed. It's either highly processed mm. food that's available, like frozen food, or yeah. it's it's yeah. literally going to yeah. a drive-through, yeah. which is you know it's not really meant to sustain human life. No. So at this time, when when I had uh, when we were advocating, um, we were trying to change the stamp bill. At at one particular point, there was forty-two million people in America that were relying on food stamps and they were trying to eradicate food stamps. You can't take that away from people who rely on them. Right. Um, I happened to be in DC at the time and I was doing a radio show to promote um, a live food event I was doing. And then on the back end of the radio, right prior to actually me jumping on board for this radio show, Debbie Shaw, Billy Shaw's sister, who's another co-founder of Mm. Naked Hungry, happened to be on air. And as soon as I came on air, I said, oh my God, that's Deb Shaw. I work with No Kid Hungry. That's really exciting. I shared my time with No Kid Hungry and what it meant, as well as the show that I was doing in DC. Um, Deb Shaw, we got a hold of each other. It might have been through the back end of Twitter or something like that. Chef Jace Roberts. Uh, <laughs> is that C H E F J A S Roberts? Yep. Okay. Yeah. Sorry. We that's can, Twitter. 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 But on Instagram, it's Chef Jason Roberts? Yeah. Okay. Why do you have two different ones? Because you can't have that many characters on Twitter. Oh, man. So I had to lose the on. So it's just Jace. Is Twitter still a thing? Well, it is for me because it's... uh, No, I know, I know. Yeah. Yeah, you got to do it. It's it's sort of not... It is, but it's not really. I know. It sort of seems to matter. 
Well, Seems for older matter. people like like you, yeah. Says you, Mr. Fifty-year-old. <laughs> so, so, so you meet Debbie Shore. So, so I meet Debbie Shore. We have a chance meeting in New York, and I share with her the idea of I would like to ride ride across America and raise money for your for No Kid Hungry. I think if I ride across America, people are going to go think, "Oh, that is a Jason. That's amazing. Mm. I'm going to throw money at you." Well, I threw some at you. <laughs> Yeah, I, mean, it was mostly, I was wearing a speedo. It was mostly it quarters. Count. It was mostly quarters. Yeah, I hope that was cool. I used a slingshot. <laughs> probably, probably easy on the body if I just decide to dance for dollars, right? Um, so I, we put a pilot ride together because Deb said that's, hey, that's a great idea. That we have some funding to invest in new ideas and concepts for, for mm. continuing to raise money for No Kid Hungry. So we piloted the idea of riding from New York to DC, which is 300 miles over three days. Oh, I thought you said across America. No, that was the plan. Okay. But to, to do that... You know, America's bigger than New York to D.C. Right. Just throwing I know, there. it's okay. 3,000 miles or something like that. Yeah. How many kilometers is that? Is that 1,500 kilometers? About 500. <laughs> <laughs> oh, it's about 3,000? Yeah, it's six. It's, it's all right. It doesn't just matter. Just times two and a bit, right? Yeah, yeah. No, there's 1.6 1. Ks in a mile. Oh, no one can do that math. That's impossible. Yeah, yeah right. So, in, so, but I know that there's 160 kilometers in 100 miles. <laughs> <laughs> okay, so, so you did the, the pilot so ride? So I did the pilot ride. We raised, uh, so we rode 300 miles. It was about three chefs, four other riders. We raised 25,000. We then put our heads together and go, do you know what? This has potential. So the following year we did it. We had 25, 30 riders. We raised 100,000. This is our, so including the pilot year, this is our fifth year. We will have raised close to $6 million. We've changed an average of one in five kids going hungry or turning up to school without a meal to one in six. So we're seeing the work that we've done actually is making a difference and making a change. And it is proven that a child that has food in its belly when it gets to school mm. has the ability to concentrate. There are kids who just have problems with staying focused. Mm. Those were the kids who weren't getting a meal. Mm. So we're making we're making differences, we're making changes, but I think the important part, the other factor to this too, it, it's it's heartfelt to go out and do something that's charitable, it, that giving yeah, it makes you feel better about who you are, right? It, exactly, it connects you to it. But going beyond that, um, Dave, I think this is for me. I mean, the idea of a kid going hungry, like it, it doesn't rest well with me anyway. But what I've loved seeing is the three. 350, 400 chefs that now do this ride. Oh, wow. Is the community of chefs that we have. So they're riding 4,300 kilometers across the <laughs> You totally whipped out your phone to do that. <laughs> I, I Googled it. Um, so I, yeah. we, we, we're not only are we building a community of like-minded people, in my industry where um, mental health is such a big problem because chefs work long hours, antisocial hours, yeah. drugs, alcohol well as, as anthony bourdain said exactly. it's like it's like working on a pirate ship mm -hmm. right i mean between the it's i've worked in kitchens my wife's worked in kitchens yeah. um you know i mean when i was in high school uh even into college i was working as a waiter you know yeah. um and not in not in not in fancy schmancy ones like these classic french ones i was working in like cheddars which is your tgi fridays <laughs> of west michigan um it's still a feeding hole, none to speak, though, right? Yeah, no, but I, but I think the idea is, you know, it's the thing that I saw when, when I read Anthony Bourdain's um, No Reservations, I guess the, the thing that struck me was it's exactly what it is. Mm -hmm. I mean, there's a lot of 
you know, there's a lot of kind there's of no rules. No, there are no rules. Everybody's sleeping together. There's it's mayhem. It's 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 loosely controlled mayhem. It's loosely controlled anarchy mm-hmm. and chaos. And you wonder why chefs have such big egos. Well, well, because if you can't if you if you can hold it together, mm-hmm. you're a, you're amazing. If you can't hold it together, you know, you might put a gun in your mouth. I mean, yep. it's it's. I it's feel tough. I dodged. I feel like I dodged that bullet because I mentioned my my mentor, Damien Pinulet. He didn't teach me just about food. He taught mm. me about life. Mm. He taught me about death, dreams, yeah, um, music. So I had someone who actually cared about me in he, that industry, and I think that's that's where things are lost. Is you don't have someone who's overseen your actions well and i think that's the flip side of a pirate ship is it can also be a really great benevolent dictatorship right you can have some great ones too where you work and you never want to leave like the love boat (laughs) a lot of people call me isaac (laughs) (laughs) you're definitely gopher (laughs) maybe doc i don't know (laughs) soon we'll be making another run man what a great show so was chips actually. <laughs> you be Punch, I'll be John. <laughs> <laughs> wow, what a segue. Did you ever watch Emergency One? No. I think oh, I was man. too young for that, bro. <laughs> <laughs> you salty dog. All right. <laughs> so hold on, just quickly. So back to this. So building this community uh, within Chef Cycle, and we're not just raising money and raising awareness for hungry kids in this country. We've now built a community of chefs who are looking after themselves. They're putting their gas mask on first. I know chefs who've now They're dropped their what on first? Gas masks. Gas masks. Air masks. Oxygen, oxygen masks. Sorry. They're putting oh, right. So you're saying like if, if you're on a plane and the plane, you know, the flight attendant says, if yep. in the event of an emergency, put your own mask on before the person you need to help, because otherwise, if you pass out, you can't help somebody else. Yeah, yeah. they're they're taking care of themselves yep. and in the process helping other people mm-hmm. take care of them. Themselves. And in a positive light, their their chefs who work for them or see them doing this and raising awareness and money for hungry kids, but taking care of themselves and losing weight and riding 300 miles, that's inspiring. Right. So we're building this community of people who just who just see the bigger picture and not only are we all sort of building our own social awareness and social platforms through helping each other right we're creating an incredible vibe for the for whole hospitality industry so do you have to be a chef to do the ride no so can i do the ride you can do the ride when when is it uh it's may next year be in santa rosa wine country oh wow this is country i know well yeah we lived in the napa valley well that santa rosa's technically sonoma we're always, as, as Nappens, we're always a little suspect yeah. of snow. So you could actually have a team. Okay. What would make sense is for you to have a team. If you it would. do the ride, yeah, yeah. I'll be on your team. Okay. I know someone who will make it's, bikes. So it's, it's this coming May. I'm in. Yeah. Um, hold on. It's, let me just double check. And where, where does it ride from? Santa Rosa to where? So we do three loops. So we do, so we, we, we stay at the Flamingo Hotel. Oh. True story. Wow. We're on Flamingo Road right now. I know. I wasn't going to tell everyone your address right now. That's all right. You can see it on any social media platform. It's a, it's a dodgy pad. It's actually a tip. <laughs> yeah, yes. <laughs> um, so it's Santa Rosa. Um, I'm, I'm on the page. The how, chef's, how, chef. how far is the loop? I can probably tell you where it goes. They're three by 100 mile loops. Oh, Wow. So 100 one, miles is a long way. So you, you, you drive, you ride in. Th- you, drive, you ride. Well, wait, this isn't. I thought I was riding a motorcycle. A push bike. I'm joking. So we're going from Santa Rosa and you're riding 100 miles. Do you go north? Do you go out to the, do you go out like you the Russian to, River? Oh, there's three different, there's three different routes. Okay. Three different routes. And you'd be surprised. So these chefs are. Because I'm guessing you're trying to avoid traffic on this. On yeah, this no, route. we have. There's we beautiful. now have, because of the numbers that we have, we have police escorts for like the first. 
20 miles? I used to do marathon. I used to run marathons uh, back when my knees and hips were a lot better. And, the 18th, uh, 18th century. <laughs> yeah, back in the 18th century. Wielding a spiked, well, it was either, it was either, a spiked mace. It was either get on a horse or, or run. <laughs> no, but, but the, uh, you know, the Napa Valley has so many great backcountry roads that mm. you can ride on or run on. It's, yeah. it's gorgeous. It is literally one of the prettiest marathons. I, yeah. I, um, so one of the hardest days I had done in all the times that I've done this, I actually rode with Duff Goldman. He's the guy from Ace of Cakes, the chef. Oh, yeah. He's a pretty big guy. He's lost, he lost a bit of weight to do the ride. He did one full day. He rode 100 miles. I was in that saddle for 12 hours. He probably had to get off his bike probably every three or three or four hundred meters. Oh wow! But we got through it at the and but at the end when we got there, Pink was there to congratulate him. And oh, how like, cool! It was it was pretty. That was an amazing. How amazing many people event. are on a team? Um. So the way it works is you sign up and you do it, but you can create a team. But by creating a team, you're creating your own inner community. In that community, if you find if you find people who want to join that team, we can raise money. So I've got so one of the people who's done this podcast is Christoph Anderson. Mm-hmm who has always been a cyclist. He, he's originally from Del Mar, so, Southern yep. California, yep. by San Diego. Yep. He's a, a fabulous winemaker up in Napa, Sonoma, now at Scribe, and great. a bunch of great wineries there. Um, but he loves riding push bikes, mm-hmm. as you call them in Australia, New Zealand pushies. terminology. Pushies. Pushies, mate. Yeah. Yeah. You got a pushy? Yeah. Yeah, mate. I got a pushy? Yeah. Oh, come jump yeah. on the pushy with me. Yeah. Yeah, I want to push it? Yeah. <laughs> um... But I'd like to, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to call out to Christoph. I'm sure he'd want to do it. May's a good time. Um, and uh, maybe we'll get a couple teams. How many teams? Are we limited to the number of teams no, we can bring? No, you can have as many so maybe teams. Maybe Papalardos want to have a team. I'm just throwing it out here. All right. So but here's the thing. I know. So the How many team, people on a team? As many as you can get. The whole okay. idea is to raise money and awareness. It does, we, you're not limited. So to I could us. have like just the biggest team. You have the biggest team. Could it be called Team Vanderveen? It could be Team Vanderhammer <laughs> if you want. <laughs> I'm joking. But I know with... Look... The way it works now, and it's all about building community. I know yeah. if you were interested in being the team and looking like the goods, there's. I know someone who would make a bike with Vanderveen on it. Do you know, what we would love to do that. Well, we've got. You know, we happen to live in a town that has Crank Brothers Bike Works uh, with a lot of friends who are with you know intense bikes or different a lot of mountain bike companies. But we could find some. We would love to work with. Uh, I'm, I'm just going to throw it out. I'm I'm in. So right. this is May next year. Yep. We're going to be riding bikes. We're going to be doing three 100-mile circuits yep. up in the Napa Valley, Napa-Sonoma region. Yeah, yeah, it, it varies. We yeah. may ride through Sonoma and Napa in one route. Okay. But they're three different routes. Yeah, because 100 miles takes you a long way up there. It's going to, you're going to be, depending on, but here's the thing. You've got between now and May to do some training. You, oh, yeah. You, you may be able to. I probably won't train. I'll probably just go in cold. <laughs> there are a lot of people. you got to remember, chef, it's chefs that are doing this. Yeah, thing. yeah. Can we take can we take e bikes? That's probably going to be a thing. <laughs> it probably will be one. Probably will be. It doesn't matter what you do. <laughs> but you know, but I think that's half the fun. I mean, e bikes don't mean you don't work. It just means you go faster than everybody else. No, it means you're pretty shit. <laughs> <laughs> you can ride an e bike. No, no, e-bike, I'm gonna, But I'm you gonna... will be labeled e biker. I will. I will definitely ride because we're on this. We're on the. We're not doing. You mountain do biking. have to wear lycra though. Oh, oh sweet. I'm gonna. I'm already thinking of lycra outfits that I'm gonna be developing. The Vandertoe. <laughs> you know what? Actually, can I tell you? There's something that's I'm so exciting. So there's 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 costuming and there's bike riding. This is is there are there cocktails while we're doing this? At the end, yeah. Do you know what? It wouldn't. You could do we, whatever you want. We wanted. may introduce a new cocktail element. I think we might do. I'm going to put it forward to Adele Nelson, who heads this operation for us now, that we do one dress up day 
Oh, for sure. Yeah. I think what we're trying to do is actually break it up. We may even look at it. So it's a three-day event. The so final day should be, should be. I mean, there should be a costume option that... We may do that on the second day. The reason okay. being is because we feel like over, over the last few years of doing this, sometimes during it, we've had the ability to go to schools and see where the, the money is going oh, and right. how it affects kids. And that, yeah. I feel like we've lost that in the last couple of years. And I think it's important to bring that back. So every shift has the experience of seeing where that money goes and how it impacts the child in that community. Oh, wow. It's so powerful. It's beyond powerful. Very cool. Um, so we need to bring that back in such a way. So we may work it out that it's there's two by 100 mile rides. There's a third day. If you want to do the, the we'll create a 300 mile ride. Mm -hmm. um, but there will be a day where there is going to be smaller activities and a chance for us to uh, infiltrate the community and do some right. stuff on a school level. I think that's a really good, well, and you know, the great thing about the Napa and Sonoma Valley sound really bougie, but there are actually, there are a lot of migrant families that live and work up there. Yep. There are a lot of, yeah. um, you know, not everybody is, you know, living on their own winery. There's a lot of people who are struggling. It's an expensive place to live yep. and both parents are working a lot of times. It's, yeah. it's not easy. Yeah. And um, so, you, so you, you, you do find pockets of poverty yeah. like you might, like anywhere in America yeah. so or do you, anywhere. Do you remember last year, the, the fire, was it earlier this year, big, the fires? No, no, last year. Yeah, big, last fires, year, the fires, big fires. So we were yeah. riding through areas that were devastated this year. Yeah, people so, lost their homes, lost everything. So it's, it's important to us to keep continuing to give back to that community. Wonderful. So anytime we bring 400 chefs with their families, with everything that we bring in with us in that time, we, we basically come down upon that community and we leave a little bit extra. We have a lot of friends and winemakers from that time. When we lived there for eight years. We have a lot of friends up there who I'm sure would love to be participate in this. And uh, a lot of friends in the bike industry. Tonight, Jason, if you're going to stick around, we're going to a bike industry dinner at a friend's house. Huh. With uh, Hans Ray, who's a pro mountain biker, legendary pro mountain biker, with oh, a sweet. bunch of really interesting dudes. Um, yeah. Richie, build that team. Richie Schley, who's uh, invented free riding, oh, he'll wow. be there. A lot of really interesting dudes. So um, you know, they're all approximately my age, uh, but doesn't mean e bikes. That, doesn't mean no. They're they're not riding e bikes. <laughs> they're legends. But uh, actually, hold on, just quickly. You, we were talking about this. I think it's really important to actually acknowledge this. When I was a kid, and you and you know, I saw someone who was like we knew 50. someone who was forty or fifty. Like that's old as yeah. dust, bro. That's yeah, old. you're almost dead, right? You are as young as you feel. Well, and so, or who you feel, but yeah. <laughs> My wife's at least two years younger than me, so I've always got that going. You're always for me. feeling younger. Well, yeah. I've always been into elder women, so I guess I'm older. <laughs> so you look um, fifty. I'm just saying. Yeah, right. Forty-six, bro. <laughs> I think I think that's what's changed is our ability to feel younger for longer yeah so we can stay active we can we can go out surfing we can go ride bikes for 300 miles i don't feel like a 44 year old i i had to have i mean before you got here to my house, house ahead of me today because i had to have a time hip replacement massage. yeah hip replacement slash time massage because i mean literally you know my son got back my older son got back last week from spain we went down surfing black speech which is huge tubes it's like the pipeline of southern california we were half you know, a foot. Half a, <laughs> I'll take you down there. It'll, it'll be fun. But there's, there's, you know, I've been surfing two or three times a day since I've been home. We've been, uh, Sarah and I went hiking through these canyons you can see out here for, you know, for a couple the hours yesterday. The hills are alive. With the sound of music. <laughs> <laughs> I'm just saying. 
my, you know, you're active. When you and I were kids, nobody did this this much stuff. When you're in your fifties, so. I was a kid. You were an adult. <laughs> <laughs> Come on, stop trying to rope me into this. When we were kids, you were a great we <laughs> Five to ten. When I'm ten and you're five, we're still both kids. I'm just throwing it out there. (laughs) Now, when I'm twenty and you're fifteen, that's where that's where jail time starts coming in. Actually, interestingly enough, I was. um, You did go to jail. No, no, (laughs) No, no. I was. Hold on, no, no. Let's just no, because this is going to take that down the wrong. wrong No, go ahead. What was the what was the story? I was I was in Cleveland, Ohio, and it's interesting because I've been hosting a show there since for for the last twelve years, and I've built. It's like a fan base, I guess, so to speak. But I have some great friends there. So I went particularly into Cleveland to catch up with all these people. Anyway, a young girl, Gracie, who when I met her was like six. So I've remained in contact with her and her mum because she was a young wannabe cook. Oh, cool. And so I've watched her and encouraged her in the food industry. And now she, you know, she's still, she's still in the final year of school and she plays lacrosse and she has a part-time job as a cook. And so I, her mum reaches out to me saying, you know, she's thinking of doing this and she's thinking of doing that. So I caught up with him. So it was interesting to catch up with her this time. Yeah. Because the, 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 the conversation was based upon Gracie now being seven, almost 17. Wow. And a guy that likes her who is 22. Ooh. Yeah, well, he's got a year to wait. Right. So well, it, was a hard, it was a hard conversation because I'm like, well, for, for her mom, Lisa, I'm like, well, you sort of can't really interfere. I mean, you can persuade and hope. Yeah, you, yeah, you try. Because it's, she's going to do her own thing anyway. You can only teach her the, the pros and cons. Yeah, basically. yeah. No, fair enough. So I feel like a father figure sometimes to a lot of the people that I've got to meet because I get involved in their entire family. Yeah, that's, that's incredible. Um, so I'm excited about giving back. I mean, obviously Jason, you've had an incredible career and you continue to have a great career. In fact, you had a call today from a, uh, mm-hmm. major television studio that sells mm-hmm. a lot of food products today to do some yep. serious work. Yep. Um, so you're, you're in high demand. You've created a life that you love. We were talking about this today at lunch, mm-hmm. um, how there's points in our lives, especially when we're younger in our teens and twenties, maybe early thirties where we're. We think we're building this big future, and that's great. And you know, we yeah. and both of us have in a yeah, way. Yeah, yeah. Um, but then there's also a point where you start to realize, you know, it's not the, the the prizes you get aren't the thing. I don't need a fancier car. I don't need a bigger house. I don't need. I mean, what what I the reason I love living in. In fact, Sarah and I are thinking about getting a smaller house right now because we don't have kids in here anymore. There's mm-hmm. just two, the two of us rambling around. Um, simpler is better at times, oh right? Oh you, you, you chase something for so long and you th- seem to think more is more. And in fact, once you have more, you've got to create more to keep more. Well, and, and it's more management and more things to yeah. think about. Yeah. You know, we, we lived on this, I grew up in this little cul-de-sac uh, where my parents still live called Harbor Point and we lived next to a little yacht club. And um, I always thought we were poor. My dad's a head and neck specialist because other people who lived around us, you know, seemed to have more than we did. He couldn't fix your head though, could he? <laughs> no, 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 he doesn't do hair replacement surgery, Jason. <laughs> my father does not. But he, uh, but, but the funny thing was, um, our really good friends, my best friend growing up, Mark Sherwood, his parents owned some, owned, they were in banking, they owned, his, his grandfather owned a bank, their family owned banks, they always, they did very well, they were very low key. Um, and we, we had these sailboats we would race, and you'd pull them up on a little dolly, get them out of the water. And my, we were going past the Sherwoods' house, and Bud Sherwood, Mark's dad, was was cranking, hand-cranking the sailboat up onto a lift. Mm. 
And my dad said to him, hey, Budge, you know, you can get an electric motor on those because you know, we had an electric motor on ours that pulled it up. And Budge said, Ted, I'm trying to make my life simpler. More engines need more things to fix. Yeah. And, and that always stuck with me. I, I'm at a point where, hey, I, I don't, it's not that I don't want more success, but success for me means I'm going to definitely surf today. Mm-hmm. I'm going to spend some time with my wife. I'm going to hopefully see or talk or trade something on social media with my kids. Mm. Um, there's just, you know, it's more about being present, mm. being here right now, and not some future yeah. prize yeah. that, by the way, when you've, when you've won enough of those future prizes, you start to realize, look, I, I need I'm, somewhere else to put them. Well, I need, yeah, and yeah. who am I doing it for? What's you, this all about? Look, my, I learned this at, an, at a very early age, too. Your health is your wealth, and your success is your freedom. Absolutely. What can I can I do exactly what I want to do today, mm-hmm. and not what I have to do for some yep. some prize or some future goal or what somebody's making me do? Yeah. Um, if you can if you can get through life and you can um, find a sense of freedom, you can better someone's um, someone else's life. Sometimes that's just being nice. Sometimes that's just smiling at someone walking down the street. Daily acts of service. Right. Yeah. It's as simple as that. A sense of freedom is probably one of the most important things along with your health. You can do whatever you want today. Yeah. So, you know, it's you, you eat well, you exercise, you supplement. Get a Thai massage once in a while. Massage, Don't judge me. Drink East Spring. Eat out of I cook. Neutralite. Best of science, best of nature. And don't forget the excess to wash it all down. So, So help me with this, Jason. So you've had, I mean, you're doing great things for yep. people who... who could use a little extra help. Mm-hmm. You've had a, you continue to have a great career. My career evolves and probably, so I, I, I started out wanting to cook and it's just, it's evolved into something totally different. But I feel like I've become more of a humanitarian and wanting to fight for kids who don't get fed. I wanna fight for those who are suffering with uh, Alzheimer's and dementia. I wanna fight for those who are up against cancer. I wanna fight for those. I wanna fight for all those who are suffering because- Who, who need some help. Everybody needs help. We're all pilgrims, right? We're all going down a road together. Yeah. So I, I would rather walk that road and be part of trying to find ways to make someone else's life easier. Do you have any views on? Um, this is one of the questions I ask people, and it's there's no right or wrong answers. Obviously, I think you know nobody has a video camera on what happens after we die. Mm-hmm. You were just at Hillsong Church the other the other day. Last night, bro. <laughs> Thank you, I Jesus. Love, I love. I love the idea of Jason Roberts at an evangelical church. Wow, an Australian-based evangelical church, right? Um, and, and I'm not. I'm. Hey, look, it's they're a good community. They 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 mean well. Um, and I know you're not. You weren't. Uh, you're not a happy clappy, as yeah. as people say. Well, but it was last night, bro. <laughs> Thank you, <laughs> you Jesus. Were. But tell me, tell me. I mean, yep. your what's your personal view? So you know, obviously, I think we both agree that live being present. being mindful, acts of service, all these things, that's bringing heaven to earth as much as we can, right? Um, When we hit that, you know, when we fall off the nine-story spa and uh, it all goes black. Yep. What's next? Any idea what happens after that? Any thoughts on that? Uh, Well, interesting enough, because my mate who's here at the moment, Jace, it was funny. And this is why community is so important. Who's, who's Jace, by the way? So Jason Stevens is a he's a he's a good friend of mine. Actually, we shot a show once, or pilot for a show called Vacations with Jason. <laughs> <laughs> did you shoot that in Australia? Yeah, we did, and it went nowhere. Oh, can but, I? Do you, is there way some way to see this? 
Uh, I might have to. I may be up to. I may be up to find something. Did you wear budgie smugglers, aka dong sarongs? We would have. You know what? Speedos. Being Australian, we would have. Yeah. We would have just to Dude. just to make you laugh. So Jason is here at the moment. He's there's a film. He's not here. Why isn't he here? No, he's in. He's actually in Santa Monica at the moment. He's here. He he created a film called Chasing Comets. Mm. He's here. Chasing Comets. Chasing Comets, and it's a coming. It's a coming of a coming of age movie, uh, for. But he wasn't. But he wasn't actually coming. He was. He was celibate the he whole went time. He went. So, he went. He, <laughs> so, he he went celibate. He found. He found. Um, he found Christ. Right. So and, he 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 actually did become an yeah. evangelical born again Christian. Right. Absolutely. Yeah. Absolutely. And so, but through this, his career in rugby league. And he's a rugby flourished. league rugby yeah. league professional hero. No, he's well. He's finished his career, but he's now a hero. He's now making movies. Wow. And so his movie, he, he did okay. So, with so how big is he in Australia? Is he like, does everybody know who he is? Yeah. Okay. Yeah. And he's, they know that he... He's um, a big hitter. Unlike, unlike maybe other professional rugby stars, he's not trying to sleep around. He was keeping no. it all sacred oh, no, no. and, he and was, pure. He was, he was a step, up, a step up and probably for the reason we, we've can't, uh, remained friends. And it, it, interesting enough, you know, I, my experience through church and God, I mean, I, I grew up with sort of really without a dad and the father that I did wasn't really a father. So I never really had a strong, you know, male yeah, yeah. model in my life sort of thing. But with Jace... I mean, outside of me, right? You view me as an older man, statesman. Like, yeah. yeah, and water polo practice and, you know, mining for gold. <laughs> no, I mean, if you were going to find gold, though, wouldn't you go for 24K? 24K, yeah. all the way, baby. All the way. Yeah, you wouldn't go for 12 or 18. You go 24, right? 24. Inside joke, 24K. So Jason, so this so, so, anyway, so the so, other Jason. So the other Jason. So Jason's here. We connected because I saw on his girlfriend's Instagram. Wait, he has a girlfriend? Yeah, he's married. Sorry, he's married. Oh, he's married. He's married. Has a baby on the way. He has actually. a girlfriend and he's married? He's married to his girlfriend. Ah, uh, good. And they have a child that is on the way. Okay. So I can tell you, I remember probably 10 years ago walking on... So he was, and was he married a, a virgin? Yeah. Well, a born again virgin. So, well, yeah, well, because every three years your body recycles. So. Oh, yeah, so he was a virgin. Yeah, yeah. Um, oh my God, I can't believe that. <laughs> I'm making a son. I hold it. So Jason is that guy. Jason is very. But very Jason, when, when 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 he became born again and dedicated yep. his life to yep. Jesus, yes. as we like to say, yep. then he was basically saying, "Hey, from here on out, I'm not going to sleep around. I'm going to wait to find the right Trusting one." Trusting in Jesus. Yeah, that was yep. that's what this movie is about, effectively. Yep. Absolutely. Or, okay. And so he was he was not ridiculed, but he was laughed at. Because he's in a, Australia, he's a big yeah. rugby player, and Jason is that. Okay, and in Australia, I sleep, haven't experienced have it, sleep, sleeping with uh, with other beautiful people isn't well, frowned on. Yeah. It's like, hey, yeah. he's a he's a he's a uh, an Australian iconic rugby yeah. player. Hey, I'm, that's what I'm, he should be doing. Yeah, right. I mean, it's, that's that's what that's the Australian that's how way. Yeah. It. yeah, And so, no, Jason was the bigger person. But I will tell you, Jason is so fu- he's very very funny. And I actually lived with Jason for a period of time. And I remember this one time, Jason. <laughs> we were, because we used to go run the sand hill, so we like training together. And he said this one time, let's do some weights. I said, sweet, we'll do the weights. He had weights at his house. And so I'm, I don't know where I was in the house, but he said, hey, Jace, let's, go, let's do weights. Because he had a bench press in his room. Mm. And he said, sorry, I have to do this. Visual. In his room. I have to do this visual for you. Okay, okay. I'm so, watching this. I'll so, explain it as he shows it to me. So, He's pushing a chair away right now, which has another great football player's uh, jersey on it. Jace, uh, Aaron Rodgers' jersey. Right. But so, go ahead. Yeah. So... Jace is a big dude, right? It's like a big Greek dude. Yeah. Puts one foot up on the bed. I'm not there anymore. He says, says Jace, come in here. So I walked <laughs> into the room. He is butt, butt naked. naked. 
Okay, so Jason, I'm gonna hold on. I'm gonna take a quick photo of this just so everyone can envision what I'm looking at. <laughs> yeah, except you'll envision Jason naked instead of in shorts and a t-shirt. Yeah, he's got one leg up, one leg down. So, you, you know what's going on. So this is my vision of Jason. He's a character. He's funny, and so his movie sort of you don't see that in the movie, but that's his character. He's funny. He wants to make everyone laugh. He's a big goofball. So he's here selling his. <laughs> he's like Chris, Chris Hemsworth in a way. Oh, better than Chris Well, do you remember? So there's a Chris Hemsworth movie. There's a movie where Chris, that Chris Hemsworth is in where he's the brother-in-law. and they, Oh, it's a, like American Family Vacation remake. And they stop at the house and he's, he's got, he's like, he's like the super stud and they're visiting, you know, it's, uh, and, and, he, and he does that same posture where he stands up. He's got like, he's got like tidy whities or like, and he's like, oh, you're looking for the remote? And, and he's got, like, he just has like this, this, this manhandle. Yeah, this manhandle coming down. You know, it's basically, you know, I, I'm sure it's, uh, it's, it's enhanced, but it, you know, goes halfway to his knee and he's handing a remote, you know, and the, and the brother-in-law is like, oh, dear Lord. And the, of course, the wife is quite impressed. But, uh, oh, my God. No, I know that movie. Now I'm going to be... Isn't it American movie. Family Vacation? I think it was it's, a remake of Vacation. It had, um, it had Ed Helms in it, right? Yes. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It was a remake because Chevy Chase was in the original one. Yes, it's a good movie. Anyways, great movie. Know. Same idea. So anyway, let's get back to this reason because you, you were asking me what I, how do I... Feel yeah, so what, what happens what after... What happens next? Yeah. So, coincidentally... What does Jason Roberts think? Okay, so because my friend Jason Stevens is here, mm. what was interesting is I'm in a conversation with my partner Sammy last night. I get a text from him, even though I'm just across the table from him. Hey, you want to go to Hillsong Church? I'm like, Oh, no. Did you Wait, have, I don't even know how. So that, that was Sunday night. This was last night. This is. Um, I'm like. Oh, I was watching the Packers uh, like, almost beat I, the. I'm like, how do I get out of this? Yeah. And he goes, and Jason's full of it. Hey, mate, so you want to go? You want to go? Wanna yeah, go? Yeah, yeah, let's yeah, go, let's go, let's go. Yeah, yeah mate, no worries. Let's do it. So, anyway, so it's like an hour's drive to get to the church anyway. I get there. Oh, you had to drive an hour to get to the thing yeah, you don't want to go to. Yeah. So during the conversation, we start talking. Jason and I always have that open dialogue sort of thing about how things are going on in life and work and stuff like that. And you know, it's, some things haven't been necessarily that great. And I said to him, you know, I, there's something that just feels like it's missing. And he said, and, and just as, just as he said that, I knew what his reaction was going to be. Well, if you had God in your life, He would fill that hole in your heart, basically. So. It was just interesting. Things happen in my life. Well, you gave him the hole to fill, right? I mean, if no offense, but yeah. if, if you're a born-again Christian, yeah. um, the answer is always Jesus. Yeah. And that's a good thing for yeah. a lot of people. And so yeah. I'm, not, I'm not, that's neither good or bad, but... Yeah. So anyway, so we ended up at Hillsong. You know, we, 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 were, we, were, we were in prayer, like, you know, in worship, and, and they were singing. I mean, it's like a rock concert there now. It's crazy. Yeah, yeah. No, they have a great music show. Um, yeah. And it was a hard one to be at because it was that, that service where they were wanting to, to get that little bit of extra, you know, help for the church sort of thing. So I feel like, you know... At a Grateful Dead concert that's called Shakedown Street. It was a pretty, cool, pretty much called Shakedown, really. Yeah. And so for the, for the majority of this was about giving back to the church. I'm like, well, mate, I've only got a 20. Yeah. And I wanted to buy, you know, some food on the way if you, home. If you give it right away, then you don't have to give it again, though. Yeah, it's true. So I did. You, you did give them the 20? I did. Well, I actually managed to find a 10 behind <laughs> the 20. <laughs> but, but, well, do, but don't they say if you need some, take some? If you, 
No, they don't say well, that. There, no, do they? no, because now you put it in an envelope and it goes in a box. And on the oh. screen behind it, there is a way to do it via internet. There's a way to do oh, it. Oh, you could you could Venmo oh, it. Yeah, everywhere. There's an ATM at the when you, when you walk in. <laughs> wow. So it was interesting. However, having said that, yeah, that's a little shakedowny. All right, but having said that, and your and your question is what happens next, sort of thing. Yeah. Yeah. Don't know. Don't know. Still haven't been there. To be continued. To be continued. Hope, I, hopefully, <laughs> or I, not. I think it's just. I think it's just important. Continue to be good, to do good. Yeah. No. I mean, I, I'm with you. I, I was raised obviously uh, very traditionally Christian and um, went to an evangelical Christian college until they asked me to to take my education elsewhere. Yeah. But because um, I was, I just I feel like it was because I was too good. But they may view it differently. No. But but I think there's this point where. The great thing about being thrown out of it is it also gives you the chance to throw it all out yeah. and to say, wait a minute, okay, I was raised here, I was raised to believe these things, what do I really believe? Yeah. And it forces you to kind of come to terms that this is, there's a lot of inherited baggage and at the end of the day, none, none of us really know, there's, there's, no, there's no video camera that, that comes back with footage of what happens after we die. Um, I love the Hindu thing where there's, you know, or the Buddhists kind of have this, because Buddhism is kind of an offshoot of Hinduism, where there's this recycling, you know, where, yeah. where we come back and, uh, you know, maybe eventually reach enlightenment. But, you know, the problem is, is no one ever remembers what they were before, so you never really know if that's true either. Uh, and am, it's, am I me? <laughs> what am was I? Am I? What was I before? Apparently I did something pretty decent because life's not too bad for El David these days. But uh, <laughs> I sometimes think I uh, uh, was a musician once because really, yeah, because I must have been you can't really good sing at it. very well though. Well, no, because <laughs> I've come back as someone who can't sing. <laughs> um, I clearly was a bad cook in a past life because now I can. Cook. You can cook, ah. but I tell you, I, I tell you where it stops for me, regardless of what yeah, I think yeah. or what I believe and what happens. Yeah. Here's what I well, here's what I do know, but when I go. I will go and I will renourish this earth. Absolutely. And I'm happy with that. No, th and that's really good. And there's, they're creating these new um, pods pods where you, your body be, turns into a tree. a tree. Yeah, if, if fuels a tree. It's really cool. My, my younger son sent that to me. I yeah. am the founder of that. Are you? <laughs> really? no, no. If we ride the bikes, do we get a free tree pod? You get a free tree pod. No, I've, I've been a fan of just, you know, living in, living in Laguna Beach. What's cool is a lot of people do cremation and then we do paddle outs for people. Yeah. And we put your ashes where you used to surf, because that's where I like I to spend my time. Curry, so everyone feels like, <laughs> <spend my> time. <laughs> like a on curry, wanna, please. Wanna embody curry. everybody. Yeah, yeah. But I just I, I think it's 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 curious how when we separate ourselves from you know the inherited history, we start to have a lot more freedom to enjoy and envision it. And I think I think to your point, the things we talked about this afternoon at lunch, and now, you know, right now is really all we have and all we know. Mm -hmm. And. Um, as my friend Rob Bell likes to say, you know, who did lead a large church, mega church in West Michigan, you know, the Lord's Prayer is fundamentally about bringing heaven to earth. Mm -hmm. No one knows where we go when we die, if we stay here, if we go someplace else, if this earth will eventually become a new heaven or whatever, depending on your philosophy or theology. But what we all know right now is there are plenty of hells on earth and there are plenty of heavens on earth. It mm. depends on what we choose to create mm. and what we choose to make. Mm. And I applaud you for choosing to make heaven on earth, not only for yourself, but for a whole lot of other people mm. Mm. and to do it in an intentional, authentic way, because fundamentally that's what Kick Aspirational is all about. Yeah. Can I tell you something quickly? When I was a kid, 
I used to, of course, you, you, you learned that, you know, the tooth fairy brings you money when you lost your teeth or, you know, the Santa Claus. And so you were knocking your friend's teeth out, putting them under left, the pillow. Left, right, and frickin' Santa. <laughs> I was so, I was, I had at least a dollar fifty saved. <laughs> I think what was, I think what was, in, what was interesting. It was an Aussie dollar though, right? Oh, yeah, it wasn't really worth that much. <laughs> sure, uh, 75 sure, cents. Matter. But in 74, that still was okay. Still money, still money. Money and money. I couldn't actually do. Yeah, money was like. <laughs> no, you, no, you could do. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I think, you know, it was interesting. So, so your, your understanding of, of those whimsical things that keeps you a child, basically. Yeah. Tooth Fairy, um, the, the, the Santa Claus, whoever it is. But heaven was in the clouds. I remember the first time I took an airplane flight. <laughs> and I'm like, yep, don't see any dead people. <laughs> <laughs> that, was my, that was my foray into heaven. Yep, been here. No, they're not here. Bullshit. Sorry. Yeah. <laughs> Through a cloud, hit nobody. Ruined your entire theology, vaporized by one plane ride. (laughs) That's fantastic. Oh man, the things we do to our kids. Well, Jason, thank you for spending time today on Kick Aspirational. It's been, I, I just love to do this. I don't even know who listens to it. I just enjoy the conversations yeah. and, and the time together and learning more about my friends who are willing to sit down and, and have a couple cold drinks mm-hmm. and a long conversation. A couple. <laughs> it's gone. <laughs> it's gone. Uh, well, this has been the Kick Aspirational podcast. It is not a spectator sport. I'd love your feedback. You can reach me. The best place now is on just. Go to, uh, to uh, Instagram, either DM me at uh, David, D-A-V-E-E-D-5-8, or Kick Aspirational, either place. You can DM me. We'll, we'll connect. And I'd love to have your questions, your feedback. And Jason Roberts is Chef Jason Roberts on Instagram. We would love to have a large group of people who want to ride, ride bikes in the Napa Valley in May yeah, to so raise some money for kids. Who, check it out, yeah. chefcycle.org. Chefcycle.org. It's a, with an S. Chefs. Chefs. C-H-E-F-S-C-Y-C-L-E-D. No, no D. No, no D. No one knows what you just said. Okay. Chefs. Cycle. It'll be on David's Instagram account. <laughs> C-H-E-F-S. Cycle. dot O-R-G. Chefcycle.org. You got to do a www dot first. Well, not anymore. Uh, you don't. Well, this has all changed. It's all getting better, Jason. Oh, I'm still on an IBM computer, bro. <laughs> Thanks for listening. Please, whatever you do this week. Sorry about that. Be kick aspirational.